You know, in the Bible, the, the name represents who the person is. So when we begin to talk about the power of the name of Jesus, it's talking about who Jesus is and what he did for us. And uh, you go back to Scripture and you think of our eternal life, and we're going to be celebrating the communion service here in a little while. And it's all about Jesus. It's what he did. It's what Christmas is about. It's what the Easter story is about, the crucifixion and the resurrection and everything that Jesus has done on our behalf. And uh, I am just so thankful that uh, we have that knowledge and understanding and God's given it to us. If you have your Bibles, turn back to Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. We're winding up our study on Galatians. We've been working through it for the last few months and uh, probably spend about three more weeks on Galatians. But uh, you recall that the beginning of Galatians was all about giving the proof of salvation through faith or through grace by faith. It's the grace of God and grace of God only that saves us. It isn't anything we do. And that was the whole issue is that uh, Jewish people had come to the churches of Galatia and said, well, it's, it's great that you believe in Jesus, but if you really want to be a believer, you've got to keep the law. You've got to follow the things that are, are taught in the Old Testament. And so they were confused and they were beginning to do the things that, that these Judaizers said they should do, and, and their faith was no longer as important as it should have been, and they lost their identity, their understanding of what it meant to be a Christian, really. And so Paul began to refute what was being taught, and you recall he um, demonstrated the fact that we are saved by faith in the grace of God, and that's all it takes, that's all there is. And then as we moved on to... Uh, Chapter 5, you remember at the beginning of chapter 5, it says, as a result of this salvation, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And so we become free in Jesus Christ, free from the power of sin, free from the power of uh, false religion, all the rules and regulations and the legalisms that are out there. People like to put... Uh, you into a little box and say, if you really want to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to do this and this and this and this. And they miss the point of the fact that we're saved by the grace of God and the grace of God alone. And so Paul brought out the fact that we have been set free. And then he made a statement. He clarified that down in verse 13 because sometimes we get caught up with our freedom. And I remember when I first really became aware of the fact of freedoms I had in Jesus Christ. Uh it became kind of a, a thing of license. Now I, I could do anything I wanted. Nobody could tell me what to do anymore because I was free. And, and sure, I was a Christian, but I didn't particularly follow all of the things I believe that God wanted for me. And down here in verse 13 of chapter 5, it says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Remember we talked about the, the flesh versus the spirit. We're to walk by the spirit and not by the flesh. And they're in opposition to one another. And it, and it says, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Don't follow the old patterns that you were following before. And then he talks about what it means to be free. He says, but through love serve one another. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. It's in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I, I just wanted to entitle this message this morning, 
free enough to care, free enough to really love others the way God intended for me to. That's, that's really where my freedom comes in, and, 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 and it's evidenced in the way I live and, and how I relate to others, because I do have those freedoms in Jesus Christ. But it's not freedom just to continue on in my sin or uh, to continue on with the legalistic practices, but it's a freedom to, to love you and for you to love me as God intended for us to, to have that relationship with one another. And that's what ought to be evidenced in our relationships in the body of Christ. It's what it should be evidenced in our families as we relate to one another there. It says, husbands, you love your wives as Christ loved the church. Boy, there's that, that impact that we have. And so as we come to chapter 6, I want to just read the first six five verses for you. And then we're going to come back and look at just a couple of points here of, of what our lives should be like. What are things that should be evidenced in our life as a result of the freedom that we have in Christ. It says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and therefore, or thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, oh, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another, for each one will bear his own load. Let's go back to that very first verse. It says, brethren, and that just really is a general statement for humanity. It's a general statement for man and woman and boy and girl. Uh, boy, you could put your own name in there if you wanted to. It says, Andy. <laughs> Or you can stick your name in there. It says, if anyone is caught in any trespass, here's your responsible responsibility. You who are spiritual, you who are walking with the Lord, you who are living according to what the Spirit desires, it says, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one of you looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. You see, when I put my name in there, all of a sudden for me, as I was studying this, it became very personal. Because it began to tell me how I'm to relate to you and how you're to relate to me. But it really hit me in terms of how I should be relating and what my life should be like. And it says, brethren, if anyone, doesn't matter who it is, if anyone is caught in any trespass, and that word caught is to kind of catch red-handed or to catch him beforehand is what it is, is translated in any trespass, it means slipping off to the side. They, they may be doing just fine, and all of a sudden they've kind of slipped off, and you see that. And it says, you who are spiritual, you who are in a right relationship with God, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And, and the idea there is that if I am truly a gracious Christian that is living in the grace of God, I also need to be an agent of restoration, you know what that is? <laughs> That's making things new. I remember when uh, my grandfather died. Uh, he had he'd come from an old home back in Pennsylvania, and my aunts went back there and, and brought out all of the things that had been in his parents' home. And they were old, and, and we inherited two or three different pieces of furniture, and we took them down, and uh, we had them restored. We had all of the old 
varnish and everything stripped away, and then we came back and re-oiled it and restored it, and, and it became beautiful. But that's the picture of restoration. Restoration is to make something new. It's to make it whole. The picture of, of to restore is to, to mend something, uh, to mend a net, to mend a broken bone. Those are kind of the illustrations they use here. But I remember when I was commercial fishing, I, I had gotten out of the business when my brother began to uh, drag for fish, and they had these huge nets, and and they would drag them behind the fishing boats to catch the fish. And then the net would start out with a huge mouth, and they had these doors, they called them, they were large metal pieces at the bottom, but they would flare out the mouth of that net so that when they came into a school of fish, they would swim in there, and then it would funnel them back to the bag back at the end, and that's where they would catch the fish. And uh, most of you have probably seen that in uh, some of the cartoons and animated shows that we have watched. But uh, anyway, if it gets a hole in the net, it has to be mended. And I can remember going down to the gear shed, and they would take these huge, huge nets, and, and that gear shed may be 18, 20 feet high. It would be much higher than here, and they'd stretch that net up there. And then the guys that would be working on the boat would go, and they would begin to mend all the holes Because, you see, if the holes weren't mended, it was not a perfect net, and the fish would swim out. And and the more it was left there, the wider the hole would be until they wouldn't catch anything. And so it had to be mended. It had to be perfected. It's like a broken bone. If if your child breaks a bone, I I hope you take them to the doctor, okay? They break your arm. You, You parents are good enough to do that, aren't you? Take them to the doctor, and you're, they have a break, and, and that doctor looks at it, and it's off to Kilder, and he says, oh, yeah, we've got to reset that so that it mends properly, and they probably then put it in a cast so it's there. And, and, and that's the idea that he, he is healed. And, you know, we talked about some of those sins last week as we were getting into it. We talked about the ideal of, of sexual passion. And somebody that's sliding off in that direction. We also talk about wrongful worship, worshiping uh, idolatry or uh, uh, pagan worship of any kind that was wrong. Uh, and so it was the idea that that you bring that person back. It talked about even the idea of, of just some character flaws. Do you remember those things? We were talking about things like uncontrolled anger, uh, bitterness, jealousy. Any number of things that that may be a problem that we have. And, you know, it isn't that this is a major problem that it's talking about here. It's not the gravity of sin that is the issue here. But it's just talking about a person that begins to slip off. It's not the habitual evildoer that we talked about uh, who isn't going to be right with God. Uh, let me give you an illustration of how it might work. If, if you were talking about a person being tempted to fall away. Let's say you're on a diet. You're trying to lose weight, and, and boy, you have done well for two weeks. You've done great. And one night, nobody else is home, and you walk by, and you look up on the top of the refrigerator, and your wife has a package of Oreos up there. You know how that works? You walk by, and you look at it. And, yeah, I can't have those. I'm on a diet. That's not right for me. You walk by again, and you go, oh, boy, they really look good. She's not home. Kids aren't here. Nope, can't take it. I walk by a third time, fourth time, and I one won't hurt. That's how temptation goes, isn't it? How you slide off. 
And so you take one and you say, wow, that was good. Well, if I've already eaten one, a second one won't hurt me any. They're not that big, you know, they're only like that. So you take a second one. And as the evening goes on, ultimately your wife comes home and she's preparing dinner or preparing um, to fix lunches for the kids the next day. And she looks up on top of the refrigerator and she goes, what happened to the cookies? I, I thought I put a package of cookies up there. And you respond like this. Wow, I didn't see them. <laughs> now you've slipped from eating the cookies, which you shouldn't have to begin with, to lying. But that's kind of how it goes. And so we slip away. You know, if you go back to Matthew 18, it talks about the importance of uh, church discipline if somebody falls away. And it says, if you see a brother that slipped to the side, he's transgressed in some way, and, and you're an individual, you go to him in private. Why do you do that? I hope you do it for the right reason. I hope it's not because you feel a little bit self-righteous, and you've got to get this person straightened out. Because that's never the purpose of what we call church discipline. I, I don't even like that term in terms of, of how we get started, but... The, the purpose is always restoration. It's never destruction. It's always to draw them back as they begin to fall away. And then it says if, if they don't listen to you and they're continuing on the activity, you don't want to just leave them there so you get two or three to go with you. You don't tell everybody else about it. You simply go and you sit down. And again, it's all about restoration. Uh, boy, I, I would so much rather err on the side of grace than on the side of the law, then setting down a rule and regulation and, and forcing someone into a pattern that I want them to be in. Um, there needs to be a holiness within the church, but it, it begins with grace. It begins with love, and that's what it's talking about here. It says we are to love them. We are to serve. That's, that's what this whole thing is about. And, and our goal is to restore, to heal. Even in, your, even in your homes, this comes into play. And, and we struggle with this because uh, our attitudes oftentimes aren't where they need to be. But let's say you and your spouse get up and it's early in the morning and... He's tired and he's worn out. And he gets up on the wrong side of the bed. Ladies, your husbands have never been that way, have they? Not in this church, no. So anyway, he gets up on the wrong side of the bed and he says some things and they aren't too loving and they aren't too caring and they don't show a lot of compassion and, and he leaves to work and boy, the two of you are on the opposite side of things. You're not getting along and he's... He's feeling bad all day. He says, I shouldn't have talked like that to my wife. That shouldn't have been the way it was. And he gets home that night, and he goes, and he says, you know, babe, I am so sorry. I shouldn't have talked like that. I, I shouldn't have been responding the way I was. And you know her attitude? Because she's been thinking about it all day, too. I'm going to get even with that guy. Boy, I'm going to make him feel it. That's not grace. That's not love. That's not responding as God would have us to respond. That doesn't bring wholeness. And so we go back and realize that, 
that, that God says we are to respond in such a way as to restore the relationship, not destroy it. I would even say if one morally slips, they have a relationship with somebody else and they shouldn't have, and, and they come in and they, it, it comes out, and maybe he had this relationship with another person, and he says, I am so sorry. And boy, it's hard to forgive at that time because trust is gone. And it's broken in the relationship. And he said, I'm so sorry. One time. You see, I, I see even then the goal is restoration. Even though God says if you're offended in that way, you can leave. The goal should be restoration. Now, if it is a continuous ongoing thing, if that's a pattern of his life, they may not be able to keep that marriage together. But our goal is to restore. That's what it says here. If you see a brother and if you see another person and they're caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, you're walking with God the way you're supposed to, you restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And I, and I love that picture, the spirit of gentleness. It, it just has to do with an air of humility. It's meekness. We can translate it meekness. It means that you're not weak, but you're strong enough to say, I forgive. You're strong enough to restore. You're strong enough to confront when there's an issue there and you deal with it in an attitude of love and, and caring. But it's not always easy to do that, is it? Uh, <laughs> you, know, it you know, I think about it. Why sometimes is it so hard to forgive and I, I just wrote three things down very quickly. Number one is because we're hurt. And you know what hurt turns to? Turns to anger. And when we become angry, we don't want to forgive. We want to have our rights. It's my right to be angry. It's my right not to forgive. And we don't want to let it go. And yet if we're to restore a relationship, we have to. We have to be willing to let it go. I think also because when somebody's done something, maybe something to us, we lack trust. The trust is broken. And, boy, we're afraid to get hurt again. What, what if that person does the same thing tomorrow? They say the same things. They carry the same tale. They talk about the same things behind my back. What if they do that? And I don't want to be hurt. And so sometimes it's hard to restore the relationship. And I think sometimes as Christians, wow, we just have judgmental attitudes. We have a judgmental spirit. It's kind of this idea that I'm more righteous than you. We don't use that term. But I'm more spiritual than you. I don't have the problem you have. You've got issues and, and I don't. And there's that self-righteous feeling, that kind of issue that builds my confidence. Listen to what it says in verses 3. Through five, it says, if anyone thinks he is something, uh, that is, perceives himself to be special, is what it says. When he is really nothing, he deceives himself. It kind of, the term there is, he bends his mind. He's lied to himself. Each man must examine or test his own work, his own life, and then he will have reason for boasting, not in regard to his relationship with the other person, but in regard to himself alone, or not in regard to another. For each one 
will bear his own load. The load there is just your natural day-to-day actions of things you you go through. And then it goes on and it says, watch yourself. Watch yourself. Verse 1. Looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. And it may not be tempted in the same way the other person is, although it may be. You may follow their pattern. But it may be that you're just tempted to become arrogant and self-righteous or angry or carry a grudge. There are all kinds of things we may be tempted to do in that situation, and so we need to draw back and just stop and say, if anyone is caught in any trespass, restore. You and I are to be agents of restoration, not destruction. goes on in verse 2, and it says, bear. That, that, that simply means that word means to lift up one another's burdens. The heavy load that they have, it's, it's, it's almost obsessive. It's too much for them to carry, and it may be emotional, it may be... Physical, it may be spiritual, it may be financial. It doesn't say here, it just says they've got a burden. And therefore, fulfill the law of Christ. Do you remember the law of Christ? Love one another. Jesus made a statement uh, to his disciples. He said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you love one another. Another passage, he said, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments, you're going to do the things I ask you to do. If we love him, we obey him. If, if we love him, we come alongside of others who are struggling with whatever the issue is, and it's a, it's a big burden. It's, it's not the same burden as you find in verse 5. If you look in verse 5, it says each one will bear his own load. That's, that's like carrying a backpack. And most people can get, put a backpack on, and what they've got in it, unless they put rocks in it, isn't too heavy. It gets heavy after the day goes on, and maybe just life's trials are difficult for them. But when we're talking about this load in verse 2, it's talking about a heavy load that, that they can't bear. They're going through a hard time. It's difficult. We, we all have natural issues. We, moms and dads, we, we've got responsibility to raise kids. That's what the Bible says. And those are just our natural responsibilities. Those are the loads we see in, in verse 5. But this burden is something that's overwhelming. And you may see it in an individual. And it may be that you're going to see people this Christmas that are going to be carrying a heavy load simply because of the season. We're told that it is one of the most depressing seasons of the year. We think it's, oh, it's a time for merriment and joy and and happiness, but it isn't always that way. And so we need to come alongside of those people and we need to be there for them. And, And you know, the easy thing is to say, I'm so busy. Yeah, I'll pray for you. And yet they need somebody that's there. Somebody that cares. Somebody that lifts that burden. Left to their own devices, they they don't handle it very well. And, you know, I picture, uh, the picture of the church of Christ is that we shouldn't have to bear our burdens alone. We shouldn't have to go it alone. The Holy Spirit's there for us, but boy, there ought to be people there too. 
And our goal uh, is not simply to sit back and allow someone to come and alleviate me of my burdens, but to actually seek out those who have problems. To go to people and say, how are you doing? And how can I help? And what can I do for you? And how can I meet your needs? And boy, we don't do that very often because we think, oh, I'm going to be getting into their business. Uh, They don't want to have me finding out what's going on in their life. But sometimes we just need to say, you're looking kind of down. Are you okay? I know it's been a rough year. You've had some losses. Are you all right? You've gone through some struggles. Sometimes we just need to do that to let people know that we care about them. We need to have ministries here. We do have certain ministries that are are for that purpose. Uh, Meals for the sick. You know, when we do meals for the sick, uh, somebody's gone through surgery or whatever, it isn't because someone in the family can't prepare the meal. Most of the time, there's somebody that can go, like if Darlene's down, I can hit McDonald's and, and take care of both of us. But it says when somebody brings something in, we care about you, we're thinking about you, we're praying for you. Uh, I appreciate the, the, the meal train that, that Heather started um, for, for Jake and Bree. And, uh, you know, I, I, I hope that a number of you were able to get on there and meet that need because Jake's going to be going through chemo for uh, quite a while now. He's got to go through four sessions, one-week sessions, and then he's off two weeks, and then back on. And uh, they just need people to come along and say, wow, we care about you. And that's, that's what this is. It, it doesn't mean that they couldn't take care of it. It's a way of showing we love them. And, and I think that is so important, that we do that for a lot of people. And let me just say, when, when we do have someone that's down and sick, please, if you don't know them, sign up. Because, you know, I have found in a church very often, there may be someone who's well-known or they're popular or they have a certain group of friends, and all of a sudden there's everybody meeting those needs. And somebody else is over here and our meals people end up taking all the meals because nobody else signed up. And you know what that says? That, that says nobody else seems to care in our church for me. And so it's, it's, it's a way of coming alongside, of bearing that load, whatever it is. I, I think another one is just reaching out and, and contacting people, being a care caller, being a a minister for the cell phone. If you've noticed people aren't here, give them a call. Let them know that you care. What, what is it that's going on? We miss you. I, uh, I called a person this last week I hadn't seen for a while. And uh, I just let her know I was thinking about her and she was important and she was missed. And for certain reasons she can't be here And she said, you know, though, Pastor, it's sure nice to know that somebody missed me. And we miss people. Shouldn't happen in our church. There may be others that have called her. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. 
But, but that's the idea. It's that we are to bear one another's burdens. If we see a brother or a sister slipping off to the side, they've done things that really aren't where God wants them to be, we're to be an, uh, agents of restoration. We're to come alongside and help restore them and get them back with God where they're supposed to be. But if somebody's carrying a big burden, that's what Paul's talking about here, an emotional burden, uh, Financial burden. It's why we have the the deacons fund, the love offering that we take. Uh, it's just a way of saying we love you. And in churches, of all places, boy, it's easy to come on Sunday morning and get the message and go out, but it goes so far beyond that. It goes to where we truly demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ for one another. And that's God's will for us. And so we look for ways that we can come alongside and say, hey, I love you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I love you. Let's pray, shall we? Father, sometimes this is a hard issue. We, uh, we get busy in our own lives. Things are going on and, and we see a need or something's necessary and yet we just feel like, Oh, I'm so busy and somebody else will take care of it and I, I don't need to do that. Somebody else will carry the load and it doesn't get picked up and people are left alone. Pain is experienced because they feel alone. And I really believe that, that what Paul was saying here is that we're free enough to love and to serve. That's what freedom's about, loving others. It's about serving the needs that they have. Sometimes I have to curtail my own freedoms, Father, because of that. My freedoms to just do the things I want to do and the freedoms that I have. And and sometimes I realize, Father, that, that that's not what freedoms here is all about. And so, Father, help us to be agents of restoration. Help us, Father, to be agents that are burden bearers and that we care and meet the needs of others. We've been saved by the grace of God. Oh, it's through faith and faith alone. It's nothing we had to do. And yet, Father, we need to live a life as a result of that that is pleasing and glorifying unto you that demonstrates that we're your children and we're saved by your grace to love and serve the needs of one another. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your son as we take just a few moments here and spend some time at the communion table. Thank you for the remembrance, the reminder of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. Christmas is a great season, Father, and it is an amazing miracle, the, the fact that God would become man, the incarnation and the resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the other amazing miracle, Father, that you performed on our behalf. Thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.